The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. For several weeks, last few weeks, I've been sharing a message about why we are here. Some of y'all have already uh, signed up for the next week, next Sunday morning. In here, we'll have what we call Membership Matters class. And for us here at Flint Hill, uh, you know, we just want you to gather. If, if, if you believe God's leading you to unite here, or as some have chosen to come back here under the Lord, then we just invite you to be a part of that. And in that class, I'll be able to share with you just kind of what it means to be a member here at Flint Hill Baptist Church. And we'll walk through that next Sunday during, during Bible study time at 9.15. But, uh, but one, of the, one of the questions I've been asking, and it's something we declare every, every Sunday pretty much, why are we here? And um, in your bulletin, I bring attention to that. Oh, I done left mine over there. Here, let me run down here real quick. Hold on, sorry. Should have this memorized. I would ask one of our students to quote it, but uh, they probably can. But in your bulletin, it makes a statement. It says, why are we here? Anyway, I don't know. Have you ever noticed that in your bulletin? All right, some of y'all have. All right, thank you. We appreciate it. There's a debate among the staff whether anybody ever looks at it. But anyway, uh, why are we here? And I began to ask that question. And I said, we exist. And we declare that we exist to glorify God. And I kind of paused on that for the last two weeks. Why are we here? Why are we here? I'm seeing somebody back there right now. I'm just waving. All right, there you go. All right. Now, I know. See, it's embarrassing when pastor gets up here and he sees somebody like, hey, how are y'all doing? I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, why are we here? We're here to glorify God. And I've, the last two weeks I've shared messages about that and how we are to bring glory to God in our, as, a, as, a, as a people. And, um, and I shared with you, I'm not going to re-preach those messages for sure, but I shared with you that word uh, glory uh, in the Old Testament is kabod. And it, it, it refers to the weightiness of God. It means to make much of uh, of the Lord. It, it, it also speaks to his manifested presence among his people. Uh, in other words, God makes himself known, brings glory to himself when he shows up and makes himself known. Now, now we understand theologically God is ever present, always here, always. Uh, he, he, he never leaves us nor forsakes us, and he is very real, as real as this little podium is and floor I'm stomping on. He is ever present, more so than that. And I, but there are times we, we, may, we may not experience his closeness or maybe that intimacy. But there are times when God, despite us, just makes himself known. But God has also provided us the opportunity as children of the Lord to bring glory or to make much of, to magnify our Heavenly Father, to lift him up. That's the whole concept here. Um, I don't know if you've ever given much thought about why we gather, or how we gather, the manner in which we gather. You know, that's kind of the first part of that mission statement. Why do we, why do we exist? We're here to, to glorify God in our gathering. So the message this morning, real simply, is glorifying God as we gather. But I don't know if you ever thought about it. How do we gather? Why is this gathering glorifying the Lord? Well, quite honestly, that, that question was answered before you showed up this morning, honestly. But as we come together, we have the opportunity to glorify God. Uh, Neil T. Anderson, author, said some people have come to believe a rather tame, manageable view of the Lord these days. To some extent, that's the church's fault in the very general 
statement. In other words, in our efforts, oftentimes we encourage people not to see God as some sort of distant or aloof taskmaster. Uh, but sometimes we've gone a little too far with that. And he makes this statement, whether you agree with it or not, the church has lost its sense of the holiness of God and have a poor understanding of what the Bible means to revere Him or to show honor to Him or to bring glory to Him. He goes on to say that this anemic view of God in large part has left the church carelessly and dangerously tolerant of sin. To bring glory to God. Now, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to jump in. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 1. And again, there's many passages of Scripture I could have gone to. I'm going to share several. If you're taking notes, you're going to jot, jot with me a little bit here this morning. But in Isaiah chapter 1, God, through the prophet Isaiah, brings a word to God's people that is really highlights what I'm trying to share this morning about bringing glory to God as we gather together. So in Isaiah chapter 1, please hear the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 10. Uh, the scripture says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of God, or of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now if you know anything about your Bible history, this isn't Sodom and Gomorrah that he's speaking to. He's speaking to Judah and Jerusalem. But he's referencing a time in the past when it was just not good. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and fat, fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable. Your new moons, your Sabbaths, your convocations. Your gatherings. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands to pray, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. What a sobering indictment of God's declaration of the gatherings that were happening here in Jerusalem and Judah. Join with me in prayer. Most Heavenly Father, I just ask you right now, Lord Jesus, that you would help us right now. Open the eyes of our heart to the reality of who you are. And Lord, teach us how to revere you and to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Glorifying God as we gather. Well, first and foremost, you can see that there's, there's a dysfunction going on in the people of God here in, in, in Isaiah's time. And I could fast forward to today. And we, I mean, again, Neil T. Anderson makes a statement. You might can make the same statement. There's a dysfunctionality among the people of God today that when we gather together, unfortunately, a lot of times we gather and it's about me and you. It's about us. It's about our type of music, what we want to hear, what we want to see. In fact, some people say, what'd you get out of it this morning? Right? And really, our gathering together, first and foremost, ought to be to bring God glory. And how do we do that? Very quickly, 
Uh, there's several things here. We need to have God remind us of His holiness. And what, the first thing I want to say to you is this. Uh, how do we gather in such a way to bring glory to God? In other words, we need to be reminded that God is holy. Uh, Richard Blackaby makes this statement. It means that God is entirely pure without blemish. He's unspotted. He's perfectly consistent in every way. He goes on to describe, and you've, you know this because I've preached some of these messages recently. But even later on in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, the seraphim cry out. What do they cry out over and over again? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. When John gets a glimpse into heaven's throne room, what does he see happening? There in the, in the midst of that throne room, these heavenly creatures are proclaiming what holy, holy, holy Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Richard goes on to make this statement. He says, you know, God's character is multifaceted, but the quality that infuses every aspect of his being is holiness. The holiness of God reverses to his utter separation from all that is evil or impure to such an extent that God can't even be tempted to sin. He's not simply pure. He is purity in and of itself. He is the standard by which everything else is measured. He is high and exalted in moral character beyond our comprehension. He is holy, holy, holy. Um, obviously, the nation here in their gathering together missed and forgot this basic principle that God is totally separate. He is holy. He is not one to be played with or just come to in a casual sense when it's convenient. But you, when you come, you come into His presence you come to Him who is holy, totally separate, totally other, totally uh, worthy of our praise. There's a reason why I wanted us to sing victory in Jesus. Because see, if, you're not, if you don't know Christ, I'll be honest with you right now, you might be feeling the weight of His glory or His holiness upon you, and you're like, how in the world will I ever measure up? And here's the good news, you never will. But please don't, please don't hear that as an excuse for God's people to honor Him and to revere Him as holy. Not at all. He is holy, totally different. But listen, our God has made Himself known. He has made it known to us through Christ, His death and resurrection, that we now can commune with a God who is holy. That will blow your mind. That we can walk into the throne room of heaven and have a conversation with the Holy One of Israel, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can commune with Him personally and intimately. I mean, it's absolutely amazing and mind-boggling for me. This old, old preacher, I mean, I'm not, just, just, oh my goodness, Lord Jesus, thank you. There ought to be such gratitude from the hearts of God's people that God is gracious and abounding in love. That He so allows me and you to walk into Him in a personal, intimate way. But nonetheless, God is holy and, and Lord, restore unto us who you really are. See, I wonder sometimes in our walk with Jesus that we just kind of put Jesus in a little box, put God in this little box, and as long as he stays in his box, then we're happy with whatever happens in our world. But that's not how it works. God created the heavens and the earth, and he created me and you, and I'm just going to be straight up. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He is sovereign. He is king. He is master. He is Lord. He is God, very God, and He's got a plan and a purpose for the world in which we live in, and our eyes need to be lifted up on Him. Hallelujah. We need God to expand our horizons, lift our eyes up, and see Him for who He really is. He is holy. 
Um, the second thing here is this, that God's ways and the ways in which He works and has worked throughout history, throughout the Scripture, throughout the Bible, are holy. Several things about this I just want to make clear if you make it notes. One is His actions are holy and always holy. The psalmist in Psalm 145 says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and faithful in all His acts. Now this is important for me and you because again, God will never act in an evil way. Or in an unrighteous manner. God will never diminish His standards or use questionable means to accomplish His purposes. No matter the crisis or the stakes involved, God never compromises or bends His own rules. In every imaginable condition or situation, God acts with supreme holiness. Period. The second thing is this. His words are holy. Now what does this mean? Uh, Every word that God breathes into existence is holy and pure. There's no error. There's no mixture of error. His words stand the test of time. They never lose their reference. God's words will always accomplish what it is intended to affect. Every word of God is profitable and inspired of Him, breathed by Him. And by the way, John 1 reminds us of this. His words always lead to life. That's why it's so important for me and you. I, I go back to that little grace outline. Take people back. If, if you want to see people's lives change for the glory of God, present to them His Word. John 3.16, present it to them. Present the gospel. It always leads to life. Now here's the truth. God's words are holy. And we require, and thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit to help us understand them. We know that, the work of the Holy Spirit. Now to a lost person, or as Richard Blackburn would say, an unregenerate person, someone that doesn't know Christ, these words seem what? Kind of foolish. It's interesting, even back here in this time, uh, in the nation of Israel and Judah, all this is going on, there were some people that heard the words of Isaiah, you would think that they would just have repented and turned to the Lord, but they said, No! We'll just keep on doing whatever we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to keep doing this, this ceremony and these rituals. The truth is, that to, to someone who's lost, these words are foolish. They don't even mean anything. Ah, but to one who knows the Lord, who has the Spirit of the living God that resides within them, these words are life and life everlasting. These words are true and, and God uses them in our life to bring about glory for Himself. The next thing is this. He relates to us in holiness. Isaiah declared this uh, later on in, 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 this, in, in his book. He said, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save or his ear too deaf to hear. But your iniquities are separating you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not listen. For your hands are defiled with blood and your Fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongues mutter injustice. God relates to His people in holiness. Now, I'm going to make a statement here. Our sin dramatically harms our relationship, our fellowship with our Lord. God will now allow us to willfully sin and rebel against Him and yet continue to bestow upon us rewards of obedience. God who is holy... This is a strong word, hates sin and rebellion. Why? He alone knows the full magnitude of it. 
the pain, the suffering, and death that it unleashes. He understands the enormous loss people will experience when they forfeit what God intends in exchange for the empty promises of sin. Now, I will say this as a born-again believer in Christ, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a one who uh, knows Christ personally as your Lord and Savior, as a child of God, the moment you begin to sin or have sin, the Holy Spirit begins to convict our heart. I mean, this is just the Bible. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our life is to bring conviction. I talk to people all the time, and, and, and I, I look, I mean, one surefire way to know that you're a real Christian, I'm not going to ask you to go out and sin and do rebellion, but the moment you do wrong and sin, the Holy Spirit will rain down conviction. If you can keep doing whatever you can do and you keep sinning against the Lord with no conviction, Paul would say you need to examine yourself. Because the evidence that one is really born again is that the Holy Spirit of God resides in us. And he, he brings the conviction when we turn away from the Lord in sin. In fact, if you resist that, I don't know if you've ever been there in your life. You don't have to testify about this. But if you ever resisted the Spirit's efforts to bring conviction, you know what he'll do? He'll just bring it harder. You'll think, well, I'll get away from that preacher. I don't even have to go to church no more. I won't hear that. No, he'll find you at work. He'll bring a song up on the radio and you're out of nowhere and just bring conviction in your heart. Why? He'll chase after you. Why? Because he loves you. He'll do whatever it takes. So it brings me to this. How do we have God-glorifying responses to the fact that his ways are holy, that he is holy? I hope y'all come in and hear this from me this morning. Please hear me. I mean, we sang a song, Victory in Jesus, not because it's good, because it's real. To God be the glory. I mean, if there, was no, if there was no Jesus, if there was no death on the cross, no resurrection, hallelujah, then we would be pitied. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. And it would be hard. How are you going to measure up? You won't. You won't. You'll live with your head down the rest of your life saying, oh, woe is me, a horrible, wretched person. No, but in Christ. There's victory. Neil T. Anderson makes this statement. He said, despite the reality that we often may give in to sin as a Christian, the Bible makes it clear that those who are in Christ, that means born again, birth from above, occupied with the Holy Spirit, hear me, are not sinners. Every time the Bible mentions a sinner, it's usually ones that turned away from the Lord and doesn't know Christ at all. But listen to hear me. Over 60 times in your New Testament... Believers in Christ are called saints. Uh-oh. Now listen, I ain't going to lie. I've called somebody a holy one. Back when I was in high school, and I meant it derogatory. I'm just being honest. and being honest before you right now. I didn't know Christ. I was just some dumb baseball player, and I made some little derogative comment towards somebody. Called him a holy roller or something like that. But be clear. Please hear me, church. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your life has changed. Your status, your standing before God has been changed from death to life. You might still sin. Don't get me wrong. I don't know any perfect Christians at all. But the way God looks at you, He doesn't look at some horrible, wretched sinner. He looks at a child of God covered by the blood of Jesus. He looks at a saint. That's the word, holy one. Your Bible's full of this. I mean, to, to the church at Corinth. He says to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by the calling. In chapter 3, he says, don't you know you're the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 
He goes on to say, if a man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. He's speaking to the Christians there, to us. Here's, thank you. Here's what it means to reverence the Lord. And i got to be careful. I get all wound up up here. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. How we live our life before the Lord to bring glory to Him means we're going to walk in what? The conscious awareness that an all-knowing, ever-present, holy God is with us. And this brings what? This reverential awe of Him. That we will look at Him and just be overwhelmed by His holiness, but drawn in through the blood of Jesus so we can commune with Him and walk with Him and know Him. Changes a life. Good night. But let me remind you that it's your walk with Jesus, your relationship with Christ, that goes on for all eternity. To God be the glory. Two things I want to bring out. I mean, they're on the screen. How do, we, how do we bring God glory? How do we respond to all this of His holiness? In, in two ways. Holy worship and holy living. I, I just want to remind you in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says that in Him, in Christ, He's what our cornerstone. Some of y'all understand what that means as a building. He's the cornerstone. And the whole building, talking about the body of Christ, the whole church is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, in Christ, we too are being built together. Why? To become a dwelling which God lives by the Holy Spirit of God. As we gather here at Flint Hill, we gather to worship the one true, incredible, amazing, holy God. And it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that God invites me and you to come into the house of the Lord to sing praises unto Him. And together, we're being built together. That yes, God, the Holy Spirit, resides within every child of God. You know, the people here in Isaiah's day, they missed out. They, they missed it. They were totally departed from the truth of God's word. They thought, well, I'll just show up and do my thing, and that'll be okay. That'll be pleasing to the Lord. And God just says, I can't stand it no more. It's horrible. In fact, he says, you're wearing me out. He says, I, I can't bear it anymore. He said, my soul hates what you're doing. These festivals, this convocation, this gathering together. He said, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. You can pray all day long, but I'm not going to answer you because what you're doing is dishonoring me. In other words, God calls us to enter into this time of worship wholly set apart for the glory of God. No matter when we gather, it could be on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday morning, Wednesday night, we gather to bring glory to God. And God is glorified when God's people worship Him. Here it is. Out of clean hands and a pure heart. He, he reminds them. He says it here in, in Isaiah. He says, look, you want, you want to make yourself right? He says, clean yourself up. Wash yourself. Cleanse yourself. It's the same for me and you here today. If you're here today and your worship is not holy unto the Lord, then just return to Him. I mean, the Bible says it clear. 
He says, wash yourselves. Cleanse yourself. Remove all the evil deeds. Turn back. Stop doing evil. God invites me and you to worship Him out of a pure heart, out of clean hands. You know, Richard makes a statement. He says, we often are slow to comprehend the fact that living sinfully all week nullifies our worship when we go to church. God really expects so much more than just showing up. He expects us to honor Him and bring glory to Him in our worship. So it leads me to my second thing. Not just holy worship, but holy living. They go side by side. You can't do one without the other. Yes, we live by grace. Don't get me wrong. We are by grace through faith. We're saved, but we live by grace today. To God be the glory. But let me remind you of 1 Peter. 1 Peter verse 15. He says, but the one who called you is holy. So you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. God is full of grace. Nevertheless, He expects all of us, all of us, who are called by His name to conduct ourselves in a godly manner. You know, maybe it would be good for us to remember David's prayer in Psalm 19, 14. He said, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, now, now here's great news. I, 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 we sang that song, Victory in Jesus. There's a way back to holy living. There's a way back to holy worship. If you find yourselves there today, drifted away, departed from the things of God, and here it is, James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. That means come clean. Be honest. Humble yourself. Purify your hearts. Turn to the Lord. Confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9. God is faithful and just and will forgive you and me of all our sin and purify our hearts from all unrighteousness. So, so when we sang that song, Victory in Jesus, I knew this was going to be a, a message that was just calling us to holiness. And some people might say, oh, come on, Jay. That's that preacher coming out in you. It's just... But my friend, here, here's the deal. There's only one way to become intimate with your Heavenly Father who is holy, and that's with clean hands and a pure heart. And we're, we're covered through the blood of Jesus, but if you want to walk in intimacy, you want to walk with Him, you want to know Him, as the old hymn said, you want to walk with Him in that garden, then you're going to walk in purity and in holiness before Him. So here's what I want us to do. I mean, it comes to really kind of a point here, and I, I'm, going to, I'm going to pray for us, but I'm going to invite you to pray with me. In your heart, doesn't matter. So if you will, bow your heads with me this morning. And really, I just want to take this prayer right here and just invite you to pray with me and ask God to do a work in us. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you for your matchless grace and for the purity of your holiness. I stand in awe of you. And your word. You call me to be holy as you are holy. Lord, I love your word. Your word is living and active. And your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Only by your Holy Spirit can I walk in holiness before you. God, I thank you that you have changed my very nature so that I am indeed a saint 
and a holy one. I thank you that you've set me apart from sin so that I can worship and serve you. In Jesus' holy and awesome name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning, church. Gavin's going to lead us in a song of response this morning. As he begins to sing, my, my, my biggest thing right here is that you just do business with the Lord. Some of you know you need to come forward and follow through believer's baptism. Some of you know God's calling you here to, to unite with this fellowship, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to honor Him, to bring glory to His name. Some of you just need to take time before the Lord. Maybe you need to pray that prayer that David prayed. Lord, let the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As we sing, you respond. I'll be here waiting on if you need to come forward this morning.